This week on The Big Show, award season is underway, major fall film festivals are in full swing, and the cinematic picture is beginning to take shape. We'll discuss the contenders as well as some upcoming films as well. And Joaquin Phoenix, star of The Joker, will join us later in the show. Plus, we'll have movie news and reviews of the latest films, including Pain and Glory, Lucy in the Sky, and the aforementioned Joker, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon, and as you heard in our tease, uh, we are smack dab in the middle of award season. You know, since we've been, this is our first show back in three weeks uh, since we've been gone. Uh, Charles, I know, has gone up to Urban World. I've been at TIFF. Uh, the New York Film Fest is going on. Wilson Morales will talk to us about that momentarily. Uh, we'll have reviews of other films. We've got a lot to talk about today, but I do begin the show uh, with not so good news that we just found out literally that Diane Carroll, uh, the, the uh, Tony Award winner, first African-American woman to star in her own TV show, which was Julia back in 1968, uh, passed away at the age of 84 years old. Um, I remember an early, early memory of Diane Carroll, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in our next segment, but watching her in Carmen Jones opposite Dorothy Dandridge back in 1954, uh, an amazing start to her career, which went on to feature later on Dynasty and some other things. Diane Carroll, uh, gone at the age of 84. As I said, we will talk more about that in our next segment. But without any further ado, it is time for us to go up to New York as we start every show the same way every week and uh, bring on editor-in-chief of blackfilm.com, esteemed member of the Critics' Choice Association, among all the other accolades, Wilson Morales from blackfilm.com. Wilson, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. You know, that is terrible news, obviously, an icon. I actually got to meet Miss Carol about two, three years ago at the ABSS Honors in LA. That was definitely a highlight for me to meet her. Uh, she definitely was a pioneer from what you mentioned, her own TV show uh, nearly 50 years ago, and you know, obviously paved the way for other people to have their own shows, black actresses to be considered and be looked upon as leads. You know, we never forget, you know, Dominique Deveron Dynasty. That was the first time I think I remember her. Uh, it's one thing you just see her in a movie, but when you see her every week on a TV show, you know, at least at that time for me, that was uh, uh, that was a sight to see. Yeah, I hate when we uh, we lose these sorts of legends. And as I said, the thing when I opened the show, uh, her her debut was in Carmen Jones. 
opposite Dorothy Dandridge, opposite Harry Belafonte, opposite Pearl Bailey, and a bunch of other amazing actors. And she was probably the and Harry Belafonte's still alive, so she's not the last link, but she's one of the last links, along with films like Paris Blues, alongside Sidney Poitier, Paul Newman, and Joanne Woodward in 1961. Diane Carroll has been around for a long time, and as I said, I'm going to really delve into. Uh, her work in our next segment. But yeah, man, I wanted to open with that because she has earned that right. She deserves that honor. Uh, But yeah, Wilson, I know uh, you are in the midst of uh, the New York Film Fest. I know New York Comic Con is going on, man. You, you you are in the Culture Center, especially this time of year. Uh, what else are you you doing, man? Because you seem to be everywhere, my brother. It's not, not enough of me to go around. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't. I try to do as much as I can. But yeah, last week was the opening of the New York Film Festival. Uh, everybody's thoughts about the Irishman oh. is true. The hype is real. Oh. Uh, it's definitely the front runner. Uh, Scorsese has put together a masterpiece when you think about bringing back De Niro in the leading role, Pacino being contained, uh, pulling Joe Pesci out of retirement. That's like, those are three aces. You have no other cards to beat that, you know, and the sounding uh, uh, applause after the movie, even though it's three and a half hours, was, and it goes by quickly. Uh, it, it was amazing. When the rest of the world sees this, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully in theaters, you know, they will see what I see. Um, I don't know if anyone can sustain three and a half hours at home nonstop, you know, without having to go to the bathroom or the kitchen or anything like that. Right. You know, so um, that was definitely good. You know, tonight they're showing Marriage Story, which is another contender oh, from yeah, Netflix. Brother. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> Noah Baumbach. Adam Dreyer, Scarlett Johansson, uh-huh. you know, so you've got a lot going on with those. And then today, uh, in theaters, before it hits Netflix, is Dolomite Is My Name, mm. the return of Eddie Murphy. You know, I saw it at TIFF. It's Eddie's comeback. Uh, he's as good as he was in Dreamgirls. Um, I think if the marketing is right and if Eddie campaigns, you know, he can be in a conversation. Uh, you have a, a, a standout. Uh, in Divine Joy Randolph, who's the only female in the film. The costumes are by Ruth Carter, who could get a second Oscar nomination in a row. Um, there's a lot, you know, between, you know, Netflix has an arsenal of riches this year, which could be great <laughs> and, and, problem, and problematic because they have Irishmen. They've got Marriage Story. They've got The Two Popes. They've got Dolomite. They've got The King. You know, they've got Atlantic, which is the, the film that played at Cannes, directed by Maddie Diop first black woman to have a film in competition you know so they've got the bulk of riches there you know and not to discount some of the other films that we're going to get to see you know the tom hanks film you've got harriet you've got just mercy but netflix is making a case about like we've got the best all right so i'm glad you jumped in because you know while you were doing that you know we were both at tiff together so you know we saw the lion's share of these films um, I was interested, and I wanted to talk to you since you have seen this film, The Irishman, and I have not. I'll, I'll see it in a couple of weeks, I hope. Uh, um, I was looking at an early uh, kind of prediction poll coming from the Screen Actors Guild this morning, and to my surprise, um, there was one name missing off of this first introductory list. So they have actor in a leading role, 
It is Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Eddie Murphy, Dolomite is my name, and Taron Edgerton for Rocket Man. No mention of Robert De Niro, despite the fact that Al Pacino is listed for actor in a supporting role. Um, is this, is, and I'm just going to ask you this question because we don't know. This suit that came out early this week against Robert De Niro, uh, $12 million. Uh, I don't think it, I have anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to figure this out because it's it almost seems like a given that I'd had De Niro, Phoenix, and uh, DiCaprio as least uh, three locks in the in the actor field for the Academy Awards this year for awards season. Well, you know, here's the thing. We haven't seen De Niro in a lead role in a long time. So even though he, you know he's the lead here, um, you, you always imagine that with so many people playing different roles, you know, and it's Al Pacino, you're going to give Pacino, supporting actors will get more favorite. You know, obviously the lead actor race is always crowded, um, but like I said, you know, we haven't seen uh, De Niro in a lead role. And I think the people who, who vote for the Screen Actors Guild, they haven't seen this yet. You know, the screenings that they've had so far have been for a select few, uh, not everybody. I think once everybody starts seeing it, you know, um, Parent Engineering was good, but that came out in the summer. So Paramount's got some work on their hands and trying to keep him out there, keep his name going. You know, Bohemian had the pleasure of being released in the fall, but with. Um, um, the uh, Elton John film, you know, long gone on DVD nowadays, it's like, you got to come back out, you know, and make your case because we're only going to get more films coming out. You still have Jonathan Price in The True Pope. We don't know who's going to come out of 1917, you know, so, like, uh, we still have films that people have seen at festivals but have not seen in theaters yet. And sometimes a film can get a second boost once they're released in theaters. Hence in point, you know, Green Book. Green Book played at Toronto by the time a lot of the press left, and no one kind of counted it in, even though it won the People's Choice Awards at Toronto. And by the time it came out, it started to gain momentum, and we saw where it ended up at the end. All right, so so t- one, one question, uh, last two I want to hit on, is surprisingly, I saw both Hustlers and Dolomite is my name. I saw it again for the second time yesterday. Um... People kept asking me, does Eddie Murphy really have a legitimate shot at an actor nomination? And I'm thinking, you know, these three locks that I talked about, and I'm like, eh, he's got an outside shot. Cynthia, I mean, uh, Jennifer Lopez as well. What, what, your prediction, Wilson, two months from now, when, when uh, voting for the Golden Globes, as well as all of the, you know, the BFCA and all of the other uh, polls and awards, do, will those two names have enough staying power to stay in the race as viable contenders? Uh, I think Jennifer Lopez right now is in if she comes out and campaigns and she's a star and hmm. people like that, you know, and definitely a Golden Globe because, you know, they're all about bringing in attraction and names and right. stuff like that. Right. Uh, same thing for Eddie Murphy, you know. If Eddie Murphy campaigns for the same way Spike Lee campaigned, you know, if he comes out and you know, shows that he wants it. And he's been doing that because I've seen the talk shows. I've seen a number of interviews he's been doing. So he's talking, you know, like, um, you know, it's, it's it's always a race. You know, not everything's a lock. You know, not there's always that one person that gets in that you did not see coming. So, like, um, Eddie can get in. Another name, uh, one, another name that I'm going to throw at you is Adam Drive. I mean, Adam Sandler. 
Oh, Christian. man. Yeah, I it heard. Was, yeah. It but. was a sneak screening last night, and a thunderous stage just clapped, and I I actually would put Adam and Eddie in and take out Leo, you know? Wow. And we rock. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I, in Toronto, the buzz was deafening for Uncut Gems. Everybody I talked to in line talk, told me, man, this is his comeback film. Wow. So that's interesting. That's a great endorsement, man. Um, that probably looks like a movie. Um, when is it? When is it slated to open? Or is it? A, it's not a Netflix film, is it? It's not a Netflix film. Okay. It's December sixth, and um, like I said before, you know, it, it could be interesting to you if you get Adam and Eddie in a conversation, two former SNL players. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be a November call up, and you know exactly what that means. Up to uh, mm. come see that film. But, Wilson, I know you got to run, man. Uh, we got a lot of show today, and we got a lot to talk about because this whole situation is very fluid as it relates to, you know, uh, what people are seeing, you know, what people are going to get behind. And it's always fascinating this time of year, man, to see how the race shapes up. But I do think we're starting to see a picture. Uh, you've seen the lion's share of films. What, what film have you not seen that's a part of the contender class right now? Little Woman, uh, Greta Gerwig's film, um, 1917, Sam Mendes' World War One film, uh, Bombshell. Bombshell, yeah. And, and we don't know whether or not Clint Eastwood's Richard Jewell can uh, shake up the race. Nah. <laughs> I'm sitting over here, nah, it's not going to happen. All <laughs> right, man. <laughs> Brother, you enjoy your afternoon. Uh, you and I definitely need to continue the dialogue, man. Uh, you enjoy your day, man, and we will talk soon. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Of course, and that is Wilson Morales, editor-in-chief of blackfilm.com. He joins us at the top of every show to run it down for us. Uh, We're going to take a break right now. We come back on the other side. I want to talk about the life and legacy of a very special actress, man, an Oscar nominee for Claudine, a Tony Award winner, a television pioneer, um, you know, a part of the golden age of Hollywood in the 1950s. Diane Carroll, gone at 84. We'll have a lot more about her on the other side. You guys are listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the big show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon. Coming up, coming up, ugh, a little later on in the show, we have movies, movies, movies. This is award season. Dolomite is my name. Lucy in the sky. Joker. Man, you you got to stay tuned. We gonna we got, we just have movies, movies, and more movies, and I cannot wait because a lot of these films I had an opportunity to see weeks ago up in Toronto. And we weren't on the air, man, so I couldn't, you know, blaze it out. But 
We're going to try to do what it do today. So all that's coming up a little later on in the show. Uh, but back to our show, I'm welcoming, welcoming in my colleague, uh, associate producer of our show, Charles Kirkland. What's up? Man, nothing much, man. You, you on, man? Because you sound know. like you're in a tunnel, man. Low. He's in a tunnel. Hello? Am I there? There, there Shane I am. is oh, there. Like, there, yeah, there, I go. there I go. Yeah, Shane is there. All right. All right. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Uh, over it's the great. break, we it's were talking about... It's great to be about, back, man. Yeah, over the break, we were talking about <laughs> the life of Diane Carroll. Not that it is great to be back. It's always great to be back. But, um, yeah, Diane Carroll's career, man. Um, I'm looking through... And it's funny, because I was sharing with you guys off camera... As a film nerd, I, I, a, a lot of her career, I know. I mean, I've seen these films, man. So this this woman's career and her work resonate with me. So, you know, we talk about her debut uh, in the last segment, Charles, and Carmen Jones. Um, the second film, I think, is probably more notable for me was the 1961 film Paris Blues, where okay, her yeah, and Joanne yeah. Woodward are opposite Paul Newman and Sidney Poitier. And the scuttlebutt at the time is that uh, Portier and Carol were a thing, a thing. Yeah. I, I'll just say that. And um, <laughs> I think that added to the intrigue of this film because Newman and, of course, Woodward are married. Right. And, you know, you have this story of these these two jazz musicians, uh, Newman and Portier. Portier, for reasons which make perfect sense, that he's an African-American or he's a, an african man or a black man over in Paris, Paris and yeah. he is treated a certain way with respect and dignity there when he isn't back at home. Diane Carroll, of course, and Woodward are trying to encourage these guys to, to, to establish these, not just keep these established relationships, but bring them back to America. And Carol and Portier have all these amazing kind of scenes in there where she's trying to talk to him about the advantages and how they can be together right. and also mix them with their real life thingness. <laughs> um, it kind of made that story resonate a little more. Um, so that was, she was great in that. Um, I will jump up to 1968 when she was cast as a nurse. Uh, was she, a, was she a nurse or did she just work in the office for a doctor? You, Talking about Julia. You're talking about Julia. She yeah. just worked in an office. Yeah, she worked in the office of the doctor. So by virtue that TV land used to run Julia uh, on repeat. Yes. I watched all, I think they had like three <laughs> or four seasons of Julia. Uh, Fred Williamson played her love interest. Uh, I used to watch Julia before TV land though. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just keeping it real with you. I would have been five when Julia hit the air. So I, you know, I had to rewatch it on TV land because I'm sure my parents watched it. I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I but, watched it with my parents on reruns or whatever, videotape, but it wasn't, yeah. I didn't watch it on uh, live either. I'm not old, any older than you. Yeah, man, but I'm just saying she's a trailblazer, man. I mean, and then the, the story of stories is that uh, the late great Diane Sands, who... Um, was a was a great friend of hers, probably one of her best friends. Um, was cast in Claudine, yeah, uh, film which would be made and released in 1974. But before she could take the role, um, she was stricken with cancer. Right, I was gonna say, yeah. and she talked to her dear friend Diane Carroll and told her to take the role. And of course, Carol stars opposite James Earl Jones. There's a young Lawrence Hilton Jacobs in this film mm. about a mother of six who is working on a salary as a domestic. She's got a social worker coming by her house. 
uh, to try to make sure that they ain't making too much money and trying to cheat the government. James Earl Jones plays a garbage man that she falls in love with. Very tender romance. Um, amazing movie. She got an Oscar nomination for that she film, did. man. She did. Stepping in for that. And then she would go on in the 80s to be Dominique Devereaux <laughs> in Dynasty. Another trailblazing role opposite Joan Collins. Diane Carroll, man, I'm telling you, she, you know, amazing. Even in her later years, man, Eve's by you. Right. Small scene in Eve's by you where she plays, what would it be, like a psychic, a mystic, a voodoo lady? I don't know what you call her. Uh, that Debbie Morgan comes to and she comes, you know, you a black widow. Every man you wish you kill. <laughs> I love Diane Carroll, man. And I don't know if that's the exact line, but I'm just telling you. It's close. Now, now watch I don't this. know if it is either, You guys but... are in the studio, right? Yeah. Are there any papers in front of me? Am I reading any of this stuff? This is what I'm telling you about being steeped in film. You got to know this game. Whatever. You got to know this game. I, but you talk about even her latest work. <laughs> I mean, she's done. I mean, she was doing television up until. Oh, yeah. I mean. Uh, one of the great things she was doing, white collar. She was playing uh, Matt Bomer's uh, housekeeper or whatever. She owned his house where yeah. he was staying. And wonderful roles. I mean, she's acting royalty. And I, it's just a shame to lose her. It's a shame. I mean, because she's touched so many people and she did so many things. She's a trailblazer. A trailblazer. Wait a minute. Did she play uh, Dwayne? No. Patty, 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 uh, Patty LaBelle played Dwayne Wayne's mama. Didn't she play Jasmine Guy's mom? She played Jasmine's Guy's mom. Yeah, Pride. She's yeah, in a different yeah, world, a different too. World. I'm just looking at this. I'm like, wow. I mean, she's been everywhere. She's yeah, man. Oh, she was in Jackie's back, too. That was funny. That is she funny. She's been on Grey's Anatomy even more recently. Man, she, I mean, Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll's amazing, man. I mean, I think the last credit they have for her is Diane Carroll, the lady, the music, the legend. Uh, a live concert that was filmed back in 2010, uh, even though her IMDb page says that she was active. Oh, yeah. Wow. One of her last roles, of course, was in Tyler Perry's Presents the Peoples. She played... <laughs> Stop. Really? 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 Why did you start Sometimes laughing, man? We're going to have to get this video up on... Because Why it did was, you start laughing, It was man. your face, the way you, you said, oh, yeah, Tyler Perry's... We're going to get to Tyler Perry momentarily, <laughs> but, but I will end by saying that as a tribute, um, I was sharing uh, off-camera before on when I say off... Well, actually, it is kind of off-camera because now I'm looking at myself on on a video monitor now right. we've redone the studios we now have video in here so this is actually cool so i was sharing uh Speak during our yourself. last break that um one of the things that i love so much about turner classic movies is they're in memoriam packages and they have kind of like a two minute thing that they produce that's already done and they just kind of insert in actors some clips of their work and then kind of like you know their name and you know born date death date um, so can't wait to see what they're going to do with Diane Carroll. But, you know, 84 years old, man, she lived a full life. Um, an amazing artist, man, who from 1950 to 2014. Mm. So that is like 74 years. Because I told you at Carmen Jones, she was a yeah, baby 18, in 54. She was 16? She, yeah, man. Yeah, she's a like baby, that. man, in that film. But, yeah, man, you know, uh, rest in power. To Diane Carroll, man, amazing career, gone at 84. Mm. Now, the, and making a slight pivot, you were asking me why did I make the face. Uh, there was a story in the Los Angeles Times earlier this week 
about Tyler Perry mm-hmm. and his the 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 release of his new studio, actually the debut of his new studio. Uh, for those who are unaware, he purchased uh, the old army base Fort McPherson down in. Um, I want to say I hope I got the base right, but it's in Atlanta, and it's 330 acres. Tyler Perry brought bought it and put I think 10 to 12 sound stages on it. Uh, in the article, they talk about Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta now are larger than Walt Disney, Paramount, and I forget the other company's lot combined in size. He owns the largest filming lot in North America. Mm. <laughs> I, now, now, again, if you listen to this show and you know me personally and my friends give me grief about this all the time, I, as a film critic, am allowed to critique Tyler Perry's work, right? But I've only met Tyler Perry one time and didn't get a chance to really speak to him, and that was intentionally because, you know, there was <laughs> there was a thought that I might say something unbecoming, which is not the case. But people protected me from him uh, because I, I felt strongly about the type of work that he was doing. But I've never... I have no qualms about him as a man. I mean, he's a man of God. He is a hugely successful businessman. Uh, he's got everybody coming down to Atlanta this weekend from Sidney Poitier to Oprah Winfrey to who's who in the entertainment sphere, Sam Jackson, Denzel Washington. Everybody's going to be in Atlanta this weekend as they christen the new Tyler Perry Studios. Now, you know, here's a thought I had yesterday. I was talking to another one of our colleagues who will remain nameless. I said, between Byron Allen, who's a multi-billionaire, and Tyler Perry, wouldn't it make sense for if you had a situation, or how great would it be if Allen basically said, you know, I'm going to fund these movies. They'll be filmed down at Tyler Perry Studios, and you can put stories out. It would be great. Incredible. Uh, only problem with, with what I understand about all entertainment is not creating entertainment it's the distribution of entertainment because you can make you know and I've told stories that there've been people who have brought their major motion pictures to a friend's house and we watched them just because you can make a movie doesn't mean that anybody's going (laughs) to see it well here's the thing about that if you had a distribution deal that would be that would be I mean but Tyler Perry's uh, he's got a deal with with, 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 yeah with Lion well he's he's got a distribution of a cinematic or a film distribution deal these days at least through to uh, Lionsgate but he also has his platform at BET plus the new streaming service that they have as well but I'm just saying that Tyler Perry man this studio is used for everything from The Walking Dead I know they shot some parts of Black Panther there um, I mean he's got a he's got a working studio it's not just a working studio for Tyler Perry productions it's a working studio right um, so I, the, the, that that article caught me off guard because I remember when he talked about he was buying this base but I didn't realize how vast that space was and how how much space and what he's he's able to do with it now. So kudos to Tyler Perry, man. That is absolutely an amazing thing. Now we got about two minutes left. And before we get out of here, Charles, briefly, you were at Urban World two weeks ago. I was at TIFF. Um, you got a chance to see Harriet. Harriet. I got a chance to see all the movies we're talking about today up in Toronto. Um, we're in festival season, man. We're two weeks away from Middleburg right now. 
Wow. <laughs> now, guess what? The, the, the thing that I was telling you, and we're going to monitor this, because we also have a podcast studio in Middleburg, so we could probably be producing some other stuff while we're there. The Irishman is coming up at, at the closing night film at the Middleburg Film Fest. Right. My fear, and, and this is a very real mm-hmm. fear we're to not, all my not, colleagues. We're not going to speak this into existence, There man. are 400 seats We're not going to speak house. that into existence. Netflix is showing The Irishman one time <laughs> on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Uh, as Dave Chappelle says in the stand-up, there was fear in the room. <laughs> but, but not for me. <laughs> I'm Tim Gordon. <laughs> I don't know Charles Kirkland. Shane, I'm Tim Gordon. I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm going to see it. What about you, man? You going to get in? Will you be one of the 400? <laughs> when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> no, I'm just we we laughing, man. But yeah, but no, but seriously, I was talking to some colleagues last night, and I think there is a lot of fear that uh, this movie, which is ultra hot and it's like the must see event of the season. Um, I mean, I do have a backup plan, and I know Netflix <laughs> is listening. Uh, so I will, of course, be in New York with the cast, but I want to see it in two weeks, man. I won't have to wait to go to, to November to see the Irishman. Come on, man. Sometimes, sometimes. Uh-oh. He's counting us down. All right. It'll be all right. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to talk to the man that I predict right now will win the Best Actor Academy Award this year. The Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Taraji P. Henson, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but you ain't never felt the wrath of Quincy Jones. Hard to the core, an entrepreneur and jams that he makes slam for you and your pleasure. As you listen to every measure, groove with the track as the cue gets fresher. I've been away for a long time. Now, I'm not only back, but I'm here to rhyme. So bust the move as I include that I'm back on the block portraying the dude. So hey, young world, saying Quincy, Quincy, I need the dude to correct and convince me. All right, and welcome right back way, to so the show. Coming up in our next segment, we've got four so to movies to review. You don't want to miss any of that stuff. But without any further ado, uh, right now... Uh, our next segment, uh, show correspondent Wilson Morales had an opportunity to sit down with an actor who I think is a lock, not just to be nominated for Best Actor uh, at the Screen Actors Guild, the Academy Award, and any other award that's going to be f- film in the next three to four months. But I think he's honestly going to win. Right. That's how much. And we'll talk about that in my review in the next segment. But right now, Wilson Morales had a chance to sit down with Joaquin Phoenix to talk about not just portraying the role of the Joker, but the nuances that went into perhaps the strongest role that's on film this year. This is Wilson Morales talking to Joaquin Phoenix regarding his role in Joker. You know, the thing about actors, I always wonder is when do you first envision your what you're gonna do with the row? Is it the moment you first read a script or the second time? Usually you have, um, or, or I do have uh, an immediate reaction to, to some of what I'm reading. And sometimes those, those feelings um, change. You reconsider it. Um, and sometimes some of those initial feelings that you had, you still perform months later when you, when you do the movie. 
anticipated it went through such a such a uh, such an evolution. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is an or- origin tale. You know how how would you describe Arthur Fleck, and what did you wanted to add to the character that's similar to what fans know are the essence of Joker? Um, to be honest, I, I didn't. I didn't try to add anything in consideration of an audience or, or a fan. I don't think that that's the way to create a character. Um, it has to be kind of through your own personal exploration and, and research. Um, but, you know, I, I think that one thing, one thing that I was kind of aware of, I think when I first read the, the script, um, you know, there were parts of, of Arthur that seemed... Um, self-pitying um, and and really kind of behavior that I thought was um, repugnant and, and kind of pushed me away. Um, but I noticed certain behavior in the script that to me were telltale signs of PTSD um, and of fight or flight or freezing. Um, and when he gets attacked by these kids, he just sits there and he takes it. He, he doesn't respond. And so that led me to kind of investigating more PTSD. And I think once I kind of saw those telltale signs, uh, I realized that this part of his story, this childhood trauma that he experienced, seemed to be true to me. Um, and then I had a lot of a lot of sympathy for for him, for somebody who... Because um, really, their their brain has been has been altered by the trauma they've experienced, and, and now they are in this kind of heightened state in which they perceive threat everywhere. Um, and I thought that was a really important part of the character, and something that I, I wouldn't have expected in uh, in this type of movie. And it seemed like a really important part of it to to magnify. Mm-hmm. You mentioned PTSD. You know, in the years that you've worked. Research-wise, is this the most you've done, being that you research PTSD and then you also had to do research regarding a laugh factor? Is this the most you've done? I'm sorry, I had to do research regarding the what? Well, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, you're, you know, when you talk about, you know, the laugh factor in the movie and what you did to, you know, to develop that laugh, and you mentioned, obviously, the PSTD on this movie, is this the most you've done in terms of researching for a character? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, no, I, I always feel like I, I, I do an equal amount. I think that sometimes, um, it shows more with certain characters. Um, but mm, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I spoke to Todd about, you know, obviously the weight you, lo- the, the amount of weight you lost for a row. And, you know, obviously that was part of the character. You know, for yourself, how much did you want to lose, and did you tell you? Did you give yourself a limit? Well, one of the first things that I started to, to research when I got the script was the medications that he was on and the side effects of those medications. And what I discovered all over the messaging boards were um, how much people's weight is is altered um, as a side effect of this medication, and there are people that either gain weight or lose weight. Um, and so it seemed like it was something that was important to talk about because I felt like the medication that was on played such a big role um, in the kind of 
uh, person that he, he becomes. Um, I thought there was something that might illustrate that. Um, at the time I talked about it, I mean, I'm obviously lazy, so I suggested that we do weight gains, so that would be easier for me. Um, but luckily, Todd, um, you know, was smart and said, you know, I, I think we should go in the direction of weight loss, and I always knew that we would do that. Um, but I, just, I, I didn't want to because I'd done it before, and it's a, a brutal process. Um, uh, sorry, I can't remember the second half of the question. Yeah. I, that pretty much answers it. So when, the, when the, obviously you finished shoot, when did you when did you get back to normal to your normal weight size? How long did it take? How long did it take you to get back to that size? A, a day. <laughs> um, no, I mean, but really, I mean, like a month. I I, I just I, I think that for a month I just ate. I don't think I did anything but sit in my house and eat. <laughs> You know, being a center, the center character, you know, you're obviously interacting with so many of the, the other characters and actors in the film. Can you talk about working with Robert and Zazie and some of the other characters, you know, some of the other actors that, you know, you're working along with them? Sure. I mean, you know, working with, with De Niro, we had um, really a condensed period of work over the course of five days, and we shot his whole sequence. And so really there's, there's not a lot of time to socialize, and it's something that I don't really want to do anyways. Um, so so we just didn't communicate that much. I'm not a person that really likes to, um, I suppose it depends on the role, but for this, I didn't feel um, like there was a lot to talk about with people that wasn't related to the film. Um, Zazi was amazing, Zazi, because... Um, yeah, I think her her character went through a lot of uh, a lot of changes. Um, the, the, the conception of the character from when we kind of started to what we landed on. Um, so we had a lot more time working with Todd, kind of discussing the dynamic between the characters and, and what would work. And there were things that I did that um, that changed the character um, once we were shooting for myself, what I think affected her character and therefore required some changes. Um, so we talked more. And, you know, someone like Frances Conroy, she was, um, I think in just working with her, I started to imagine kind of more of our shared history and how she uh, might have, have behaved with, with my character younger. And it really changed the way that I looked at Clown outfits or the wig when wearing the green hair? Um, yeah, I don't like I didn't like any of it. <laughs> you know, and then, 
you know, just going back, obviously, where did your love, if any, for comic books come in? You know, were you a fan of the comic book franchise? You know, now that we've got like a zillion of these movies coming out, or is it something that, you know, did you read comic books growing up? Uh, I did. I used to collect when I was a kid. Um, when I was about 14 years old or so, I collected for a couple of years. You know? And then so, do, you, uh, do yeah. you still have them? At what point do you say, okay, now it's time I, to stop? I do. No, I, I still have them. I don't collect anymore. I stopped many years ago, but uh, I still have like four boxes full. <laughs> and then, you know, when working with Todd, obviously you guys worked a lot regarding developing this character. You know, but when you work with a director, you know, I like to think that there's, some, there's a piece of what you're learning from that director that you can take on to your next project. So in working with Todd, what, is there anything that you learn from his technique that helps you out as an actor as you work, go along to your next project? Um, and I, and I, of course there are. And uh, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what, what they are um, specifically. Uh, you know, I can't remember. But you know, some of it is so dependent on him being present that I don't think I can apply it to other jobs. You've been working for so long, and obviously, you know, we don't see you so often. You know, it's not like you're doing five movies a year or so forth. So what goes into saying yes to the projects that you do take? It's a filmmaker. Um, it's really that simple. Um, I think that usually the, the motivating factor, the divisive factor, um, is the filmmaker. And whether I think that there's somebody that has uh, a unique take on what it is that they're trying to say and, and whether they're a filmmaker um, that can't be replicated. You know, Todd, the way Todd makes movies, the movies he makes, nobody can make those movies but him. Um, and so that's always the deciding factor. Mm -hmm. And then when you're not honestly uh, working or promoting a movie and so forth, what keeps you humble? At what point do you get to be yourself without having to worry about what people are going to say or write about? When can you be yourself? <laughs> Oh man, I, 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 I always am. Uh, yeah, I'm really fortunate. I've managed to have uh, a really great career and work with people that I want to work with on films that, that I enjoy. Um, but, you know, I've never experienced such an overwhelming level of fame that it prevents me from, from living my life. So um, I come home and, and, uh, and I, you know, have to feed the dogs and tend to the garden and uh, clean up their shit. It's good. It's good talking to you. Do your thing. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Take care. All right, and thank you both to Joaquin Phoenix and Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com, who's also a show correspondent here. Um, the Joker is in theaters this weekend. Coming up next, we're going to review the film 
as well as three others. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon. And we'll be right back. I'm going to break you off. Let me be your motivation to stay and give it tonight. Baby, turn around. Let me give you innovation. Because I do it so right. Welcome back to the show, and this week's reviews are brought to you by TheFilmGordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict. Check out all of our film content at TheFilmGordon.com. There are four, count them, four new movies opening in theaters this week. Uh, But before we begin, cue the music. Right, first up this week is Lucy in the Sky, a sci-fi drama co-written and directed by Noah Hawley, his, fi- his feature film directorial debut, and it stars Natalie Portman, John Hamm, Zazie Beetz, Dan Stevens, Coleman Domingo, and Ellen Burstyn. And of course, uh, this film tells the story of a woman who is an astronaut, goes to space, And when she comes back, everything around her seems small in comparison. Let's listen to a clip from Lucy in the Sky. You know how it is. You go up there, you see everything, the whole universe. And everything here looks so small. We're so small. And then you splash down, what, you go to Applebee's, you know, Monday Night Football, clip your toenails, and all you can think about is, when can I go back? All right, this film, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, um, Natalie Portman gives her all uh, in a film that is so slow moving that it kind of lulls you into a sense of shall I use the word boredom um not much here to see with this film at all I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we have some other larger films that I think offer a little more to the audience this week I'm giving this film a D um this film didn't keep my interest um you know there are films there's another film that I'm going to talk about where a character uh, kind of has issues with things that are going on in his mind that I think are done and executed much better. Um, Lucy in the Sky, yes, a D. Up next is a film from super director, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Pedro Almodovar. And his film, of course, is called Pain and Glory. Uh, it's a, a, a Spanish drama directed and written by this fil- this filmmaker. It stars Antonio Banderas, Penelope Cruz, among others. Pain and Glory is a film that narrates a series of encounters loosely based on Aldo Mavar's own experiences. Banderas plays his alter ego 
And this shows the story of him going through some of his ups and downs, as well as his decline, as well as the story of the, how important his mother was to his upbringing, sort of similar to a way of what Alfonso Corion tried to talk about with his housekeeper and maid in Roma last year. Um, I think Banderas, who's in a couple of films, including The Laundromat, which is a film we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, um, he is really good in this film. I think this film is very solid. If you are aware of Alda Mavar's work, this film will be another welcome addition to his canon. I gave this film a B. I thought that him and even Penelope Cruz in a smaller role, these are his kind of primary players. I thought everything in Pain and Glory worked well. Very good story. Up next is um, one of two heavy hitters this weekend, and we will simply say, welcome back, Eddie Murphy. It is Dolomite Is My Name, and this film, of course, is based on the life of the great late underground sensation Rudy Ray Moore. Uh, It stars Eddie Murphy. Wesley Snipes is in this film. Mike Epps, uh, Michael Keegan Key, um, there, there are a group of really talented individuals, and let's listen to a clip from Dolomite Is My Name. You ain't that funny. You just cussing up or something. He ain't cussing. He's clever. I don't know. You know, I used to work with Red Fox. You knew Red Fox? Oh, yeah. We was in the kitchen washing dishes together, but you know, I worked with him. And one day he went up in front of the right promoter, had his big break. Oh, here go Rico. Oh, man. He smells like beer and he be touching the door. Man, go stop him. Man, I'm the assistant manager. I'm delegating that to you. You go deal with Rico. Uh, Rico responds best to authority, so the manager should do it. All right. Of course, Eddie Murphy is uh, in the middle of a comeback tour right now. And this film here, I think, is a wonderful kickoff. Um, Rudy Ray Moore is somebody whose career I listened to a lot of his albums, even when I wasn't supposed to as a very young child. And I thought that it would almost be impossible for them to bring the 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 life of this profane, <laughs> foul-mouthed, yet very funny comedian to the big screen, and Eddie Murphy pulls it off. Um, this story kind of starts with Rudy Ray Moore working in a record store uh, and also emceeing at a local nightclub, trying to figure out any way that he can get in the game. And one day in his record store, a wino comes in, who is talking about the signified monkey and Dolomite and Willie Green. And, of course, before you know it, uh, Rudy Ray Moore has found a new act to build himself around, and boy, does this act take off. We see the albums that are being made. We see uh, Moore on tour where he meets Lady Reed, uh, played by, what is the young lady's name? Um, Divine Joy Randolph. Um, we also meet his cast of characters, Craig Robinson, uh, Mike Epps, uh, Titus Burgess from uh, The Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. And, of course, they all encounter Derville Martin, who is a kind of B-level sidekick to Fred Williamson, played in this film by, um, what's he, Snipes. Um, sooner than later, after Dolomite has had success, or Rudy Ray Moore as Dolomite has had success with his uh 
uh, career on albums. He decides to make a movie, which is when all the hijinks ensue. Trust me, you'd much rather watch the making of the Dolomite movie in Dolomite is my name than watch Dolomite itself. Please don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Not a good movie at all. Eddie Murphy is this movie. Snipes is really good. Randolph in a smaller role is good as well. Eddie Murphy is back, and he may be back to the tune of an Oscar nomination in a couple of months. Uh, Dolomite is my name is a lot of fun. B plus for Eddie Murphy on the comeback trail. Saw it in Toronto at the world premiere. Saw it again. It holds up. It's very funny. It'll be on Netflix on the platform later this month in theaters this weekend. And finally, finally, it is time to talk about one of the movies that um, I was looking so forward to talking about this fall. It was the last movie I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival. I'm talking about Joker, the movie that I sat next to a total stranger and we spent a, a, about an hour or so just looking at each other like, are you seeing this? Yeah, I'm saying you too. Wow. Joaquin Phoenix uh, is the center of the psychological thriller uh, directed by Todd Phillips of Hangover fame. Go figure. Hangover fame. I say it again uh, with a screenplay written by Scott Silver, uh, based on the DC comic character. It stars Phoenix as the Joker. This film is an origin story set in 1981, which follows Arthur Fleck, a mentally ill, failed stand-up comedian who turns to a life of crime and chaos in Gotham City. Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, there's that name again, Francis Conroy, among others, all appear in supporting roles. Um, Let us listen to a clip from Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Let us just delve into what I think is one of the most compelling psychological traumas that we're probably going to see on film this year. All right, this film, which takes place in Gotham City in 1981, finds Arthur Fleck uh, working for a service where, I guess, they rent out clowns for different occasions around town. He's working at the store with a sandwich board, which, of course, you see in the trailer gets taken. He gets beaten to a pulp in the alley by some dark kids. And the next thing you know, we are delving into the nightmare of this character. Armed with a condition that he carries a card around that anytime he's nervous or feeling uncomfortable in pain, he just laughs uncontrollably, which I think is absolutely genius in explaining the laugh of the Joker and also gives it a double meaning in a film such as this. We later on find out after he's dispatched from his job, he's met with one disappointment after the other until ultimately he just snaps. And when he does snap, I remember writing in a review in 2008 for The Dark Knight that Heath Ledger's Joker was an agent of chaos that, you know, that was one of the lines that I'm just an agent of chaos. Well, in this um, uh, Todd Phillips version, he's not just an agent of chaos. 
He's almost the embodiment of chaos itself. If we think about the profile as we look around America now in the news where we talk about these domestic homegrown shootings, it's usually always young people who feel like they are kind of disassociated from life. They're going through a level of pain. Their minds have kind of reached the point of no return where they kind of snap and then they try to take the pain that they're feeling and then put that pain onto others. This film is the cinematic embodiment of that principle, which in itself is part of the reason why there's been so much talk among people in fear about, oh, we got to put up special protection and security for this film. Um, I just think at the core of all of this is probably... The, one of the strongest lead performances I've seen on film probably since Jamie Foxx and Ray in 2004. That's how sure I was when I saw that film that he would win an Oscar as as sure as I am about this film that Phoenix will win an Oscar. And I say that having seen... Uh, once upon a time, and I know Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be a front runner. We know that despite the fact that the Screen Actors Guild didn't put Robert De Niro, De Niro is going to be a front runner. But it's going to be hard to top a, a performance like this where a character loses 55 pounds, is ultimately skin and bone, and has immersed himself in such a level of horror that we're in his nightmare for two hours and four minutes. He is mesmerizing on screen. And despite the fact that I may not ultimately like the message of him being portrayed as a hero and make no bones about it, he is an anti-hero by the end of this movie. And if you don't believe me, that final scene will tell you all you need to know. This film and his performance, let me rephrase that, not this film, this performance is mesmerizing. I kept watching it, and, if you, and Charles, you sat in the movies with me. Anytime you hear me going, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> man, Joker as a film, I like the screenplay. I just absolutely hate the message of this movie that th- that we salute this kind of character. This is a Trumpian antihero. If we've ever seen one on film, um, I would give this film a B plus, and that is largely. Uh, on the strength of what I think is, is not just the best performance this year. You just heard me say it earlier. I am that sure of this performance as I have am about Fox's performance, and that was 15 years ago. That's how strongly I feel about this film. The Joker is, uh, you know, I, I think the performance outweighs the film. All righty. So that's all I got this week. And on behalf of our producer, the man behind the glass, the man who has the remote in his hand. He puts us on screen. It is the one, the only sugar Shane Lewis, Cincinnati's own. Boy, that mother's love, mother's love. You got to be old enough to understand that reference. You just look it up. You get it. Uh, also, uh, Charles Kirkland, associate producer, the man, the Ed McMahon of our show. What's up, McMahon? Got me a pound on that. Brother might not get in the Irishman, but he is here in this set. And <laughs> as I tell you guys, another inside joke, you'd have to listen to the early part of the show. And as I tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies this weekend. I've given you my two choices. There's two great ones that are out there. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the other side. You take care. We're out. Is it anything and everything you want?
bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue, but you can't bring the truth to me. And we don't know your expectations. I don't even want your congratulations. I recognize your false confidence and calculated promises. All in your